All aboard! You're listening to the Deliberative Podcast. Heyo! And welcome to The Deliberative, your weekly podcast all about Exalted. I'm your host, Charles, and joining me today is Jim. How's it going? What's up, Jim? Other than us, way too early in the morning again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we get started, you might have noticed something a little different. Corey is not here. (laughs) Um, He is on vacation with his family this week, so... We decided to go ahead and do the show without him, uh, but don't worry. We've got a really good show lined up for you. I think you're, I think you're really going to enjoy it, and hopefully we can really make him jealous that he took vacation instead of being dedicated to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, next week, I will be out as I'm headed to Minneapolis, Minnesota for the World Championship of Android Netrunner. It's the last one. Sorry, I got choked up a bit. Um, <laughs> it is it is the last one. Fantasy Flight ended their licensing deal with Wizards. So this is the first and last official Worlds I'll go to. And I'm very, very sad. But it should be a good time. All right. So before we get started on our feature discussion, let's talk about the news. <laughs> So White Wolf announced that they will be adding Exalted to their Storytellers Vault site. And they're going to open it to all three editions. So that's first, second, and third edition. So basically what this means is this is an opportunity for us, the Exalted community, to create, publish, and also get paid for your unofficial Exalted materials. And on top of that, we should be getting some kind of uh, like templates or art packs so that we can, uh, you know, depending on what edition you're putting your stuff up for, you can make it look contiguous with that edition. So you can get some of the maybe some of the fonts or something with uh, third edition or kind of a InDesign layout template or something like that. This is really cool, Charles. I agree. I think this is... um, (laughs) Because there are some guys out there that I've, I've done some looking for different things as far as Exalted. And sometimes you'll you'll catch something in the forum where a guy has made this really cool spreadsheet on how to create a character really quick. Or somebody has come up with this really cool artifact, but they're all scattered throughout the internet. You know, so this puts this gives everybody the opportunity to put everything in one place. And those people that spend a lot of time and uh, effort to make their stuff really stand out and look good. This is an opportunity for them to catch a, to cash in a little bit, (laughs) but because, you know, if you spend hours upon hours putting something together and it looks really good and you got like, um, uh, artwork and stuff that kind of makes it look official. You know, you, of course, they're not going to make it look too official because they want to separate it from their official products. But just this being out there, I don't mind paying a couple of bucks here and there, you know, five, ten, something around there, uh, based on what it is. Um, I don't, I don't have a problem with this. And I think it's really cool. And it can, it basically, you've just, expanded the realm of creators for this game. I, I I could not agree with you more. In fact, um, one of the things you said, talking about how now we have kind of one place where we can collect everything. I mean, we here at The Deliberative have been talking about compiling some of the, um, you know, ready-to-play characters that we've made, some of the story seeds into a PDF available on our website or something so that, um, you know, instead of having to dig through this big archive of individual characters and all that, you could just download 
you know, season one of ready to play characters, which has, you know, right. 20, 20 ready to play characters, you know, ready to print and play or whatever. Um, we've been talking about doing that for a while and we're trying to figure out the best, uh, the best way to go about doing that. And the obvious answer now is the storyteller's vault, because that's where all of the exalted content creators are going to go. All of them. And like you said, there, there are some really impressive, uh, I guess we'll call them homebrew creations that I've seen specifically one where, oh man, I, I think it was E. Corin. Uh, maybe I'm misremembering that, but they made Abyssals in third edition. Oh yeah, so you could basically use Abyssals before the official Abyssals book comes out. Yeah, but have you looked at it? I haven't looked at it in detail, but I know Man, Corey was it, impressed. It reads which like says a the lot. actual book. I, I kid you not. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I, I don't I don't mean any offense by this. It is very incomplete being a homebrew um, right. and being a very large uh, undertaking. But what is there is just absolutely of phenomenal quality. So I'm really excited for the entire community to have kind of one pool where we can all go and hang out and share our ideas together. And, you know, even if there's, even if you're one of those people who says, you know what, I'm just not going to pay for someone else's homebrew stuff when I can make it myself, which is fine. You're, you're free to do that. I think that it's just going to be this place of unlimited community-driven inspiration, and that really that really makes me excited. I'm I'm very excited about that. I would I would think that one um uh, one argument would be well if someone put out something like an Abyssal's kind of rule guide to use, it's not official. Well, I can tell you this. Both Dragonblood and Lunars from the core, the core example antagonists have changed now that the books come out. So if you're using something and then it gets superseded later, it's not a big deal. Your players aren't going to go back to you and say, you remember two years ago when we fought against a Lunar and now the Lunar book's out? Uh, what were you thinking? Like, did you have fun? Then it doesn't matter because right. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> All right, in further news, there has been a new wave of Adversaries of the Righteous and Hundred Devils Night Parade. Uh, we got Odara of the Chosen Ash, who is an exigent of Hamoji. And then we got Jim Seeker and Steel Eater, who were part of the Hundred Devils Night Parade. So uh, what did you think about these, Jimbo? I think that's, um, she's a exigent of Ash. Which is like, I, I know it mentions Hemoji. I think she was supposed to be ah, sacrificed to to Hemoji. That's right. Maybe that's what I got focused yeah, on. Yeah, because she was a lover. Well, let's go right into her. Uh, she was a person who landed on this island in the West. And she fell in love with this god that is named Ash on the Wind. And mm. the, the priestess of this god got a little jealous and wanted to sacrifice her well the god ash of the wind on the wind appealed to the unconquered son to save her which um basically is the if you know your exigence that is how exigence are created there is some involvement with the unconquered son and the the lesser god itself pour some of itself into the exalt. And in this case, which doesn't happen all the time, but in this case, the uh, it looks like Ash on the Wind was destroyed during the process of creating this exalt, uh, exigent. It's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I, this is a really cool character. I mean, really cool. I love the artwork. I love all of her artifacts. Um, she is yeah, all like 19 of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> she has three, three dot artifacts. Oh, is but, it three? I thought it was two. 
Uh, she has the armor. She has the devil caster, and she and the has gormal, yeah, yeah, the gormal. Jeez. So in each one of these artifacts, they give a little snippet of a story on how she got them, and it was really cool because usually when I write artifacts into my characters' histories, I always like well. You know, he he had this feeling and went and dug this thing up or something. But when I was reading this, uh, basically the devil caster belonged to like a, the like the captain of the ship she got put on, and she like basically killed him and took the devil caster. And so this person's family is actually trying to hunt her down and get this devil caster back as well, which. <laughs> That adds a lot of flavor to a character. I really think that's kind of cool. Like, you know, the the artifact that you kind of stole, you know. It's like, you know, Frodo and, um, you know, with the ring. Gollum thinks that it belongs to him, so he's, like, pursuing him. <laughs> okay, so we've got Odara, who is our... I believe this is our first look at exigence outside of the core rulebook, if I'm not mistaken, which... Super awesome. Very much looking forward to an exigence book. Getting more, um, more official direction on probably the best way to go about creating charms and such. Uh, but then we also have two entries for the Hundred Devils Night Parade. Like I said, Gem Seeker and Steel Eater. Gem Seeker being this like little salamander who has an affinity for gemstones, and if it's a real precious stone then he'll eat it, and if it's not, he'll kind of turn his nose up, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> the Steel Eater is... This is a really cool addition to your game. What I like about this is the thing just eats metal, and it hangs out in the desert in the south, and basically you could have like an entire army come up, and this thing could attack from underground. It burrows in the ground, and... It eats metal and adds it to its, um, basically like its itself. It like oh. absorbs all this metal. It starts out when it's born about the size of a dog. And then like normal size, they're around the size of a horse. But eventually Jeez. when they eat, an, when they eat enough metal, they grow to legendary size. Holy cow. And, oh yeah. And they, they, um, basically they turn into like this big giant shell that hatches and a bunch of these things come out again so it is terrifying (laughs) (laughs) well that's really cool um you know speaking of hundred devils night parade and adversaries of the righteous in the latest exalted kickstarter update uh james bell came on or was it rich i don't know one of uh, onyx path came on and said that there were a couple ways they were looking at compiling uh, these two volumes going forward. Either we could um, wait for, I think they said, over a year and get one big volume of everything they release in Adversaries of the Righteous and Hundred Devil's Night's Parade, both in their own big volume, or they can do incremental books like the first 10 from each line will be in a small book so it will be like two or three entries um if you have an opinion about that please go to the kickstarter page and vote about that in the comments i personally want everything in one big volume i know that means we'd have to wait uh i'm just a fan of being able to have one place to go to to find what i need think i'm gonna say i would like the small volumes Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i have been buying them on drive through rpg as they come out monthly which dropping a couple of bucks here and there a month isn't that big of a deal but if you're like today you just said hey i want to start collecting these things it's probably going to be a little bit of an investment Right. right out of the gate, but just to get something in its fanciness, like all of its completeness with like all the flavor text and stuff that kind of goes with it, like it's not just going to be a book. I-, I can't see it just being a book full of stats. 
there's going to have to be a little bit of flavor text that goes along with it. And if that's the case, I definitely want them quick. Like, oh, here's so many um, opponents and, or adversaries, and here is a, a description of some little thing or something that goes along with it. I would like that rather than one big hulking volume. But I don't know. I, it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter to me. I just want something in my hand quick. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I honestly don't mind waiting. Um, the the biggest turnoff for me from buying these things monthly is, like you said, it's not the monetary investment because it's you know between four and eight dollars a month. Like that's nothing. You pay that on Netflix. It's not a right. big deal. I just don't want a bajillion individual PDFs scattered everywhere. So I'm I'm more for give me a hundred Devil's Night book and an adversaries mm. book. Like if I have to wait, that's fine. I can buy the individual PDFs of the things I need to use in the interim, but I'll wait for the one big file. But anyways, like I said, if you have your own opinion, dear listener, I'll three of you because <laughs> um, who wakes go up vote. this early to listen because they're us. listening yeah uh please <laughs> go to the kickstarter page go to the comments and leave your opinion there lots of people have already done it don't let your voice not count okay and last but not least before we jump into our feature discussion i want to thank adon for becoming our newest patron thank you very much adon yeah thank you All right, Jimbo, that wraps up the news. So now it's time to start our feature discussion. Why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Well, today it seemed fitting since Corey is not here and we're kind of taking (laughs) over the show to talk about some (laughs) outcasts. Wait, is he the outcast or are we the outcasts? I believe that's (laughs) us. Ah, dang it. (laughs) Yeah, but... As you're about to find out, outcasts are pretty darn cool. So don't feel bad to be an outcast. (laughs) So outcasts are basically dragon blooded that are born outside of the realm or the realm controlled areas. Like, so you're way off in the wild and for some reason you exalt as a dragon blood. Maybe someone in your family that, you know, in your ancestry carried the blood of the elemental dragons and finally it just manifested into your character um also there are outcasts that have just decided you know what this scarlet dynasty thing just isn't for me and then they just (laughs) get on a boat and go somewhere (laughs) and start a new life and maybe their kids and stuff aren't exalted so they're like, okay, well, we'll just live a normal life. And then great, great grandkid, boom, exalts for some reason or another. So these things are really, really cool. I have, to me, I see they make a, right now, currently, they are a good basis for making some pretty good antagonists. Mm-hmm. Uh because you have some rules that you can kind of grab onto. So if you had like an outcast that led a group of mortals, then you have like one big bad to kind of throw up against your guys. And dragon bloods, they aren't, I mean, they're, of course they're not as strong as solars, but they're not as weak as mortals either. <laughs> they're, they are pretty tough. We've, we've proven for, that in the arena, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. So, they're really cool to use. So what do you think about Outcast, Charles? I almost can't imagine running a Dragon Blood game with characters that are not outcasts. Like I'm right. not I'm not just saying that to like hype up this feature discussion. I mean legitimately after having read through this and I'm really excited to play a Dragon Blood game. In fact, uh you know, one of my players um Joel is really struggling with how he feels about Exalted because playing a solar and especially a very combat aspected uh, Dawn cast solar, he doesn't feel challenged in melee. Right. 
And so I've been telling them for a while, maybe we just need to step back, play a dragon-blooded story. Maybe right. that power level's going to fit better for our group. Um, I, could, I could see that, and I think I could agree with that. Because some people... The transition is kind of difficult. Yeah, when you go from, from Pathfinder to Exalted, where you know at the lowest levels, one right. bad one bad turn of the dice can mean you're making a new character. To Exalted, where in the very first session he kills eighty men in one attack. Right. So that's a that's a bit of a culture shock. So I've had Dragon Bloods on the brain for quite a while. Well, I mean. Well, you know, dragon blood can kill forty men, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it just eases well, him into all that death and destruction. It was the dragon blooded Kickstarter which really got me back into Exalted. I backed right. I backed right. the core book way back when, only at the PDF level. So well, it was um, so long ago too. So long ago, yeah. So I've just I've been thinking about him a lot since that Kickstarter, since we started this podcast, and then we got into Forest Witches. Which are oh. a flavor of outcasts. Oh, I know. Let's not get oh. back on Force Witches. That'll be the whole episode again. Yeah, that's like a whole show in itself. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. We yeah, it actually <laughs> is a whole show into itself. Uh, but no, reading through these outcast groups, I just... Oh, man. It seems like... It seems like the, the developers are saying, sure, you could play one of the main houses that are in the first part of the book. But why would you want to when all of these other ones are so much cooler? Now, you were saying, and I just kind of want to mention this to the guy out there, like, ripping his face off in agony. Um, <laughs> you yeah, said Corey you isn't here this week to, like, <laughs> fact check us on the fly, by the way. <laughs> but I was going to say that, you know, you said that Dragon, you couldn't see anyone playing Dragon Blood that aren't outcasts. Some people that socio-political kind of game is really fun for them and if that's what you like to do by all means stay out of the out of oh the that would reaches. actually i think mm -hmm. if i were a player that would be my favorite thing to do right i just but as a uh, storyteller is that what you're saying it would be tough I, I don't know like some of my favorite books are political intrigue books and that's one of the things that i love about dragon bloods is that it's this you have to, you know, go to a banquet and smile to your enemy's face while you're pl plotting to bring about their downfall or something like that. That's really cool. But then you read these different outcast groups and you're like, oh, that's so much. It's so much cooler to be a forest witch and like force yourself to be reborn into one of the main houses and then be like a serial murderer kid killing it from the inside out like that's so much cooler seemingly so i don't know i don't know so the book helps us out a little bit it, it basically tells us what an outcast is and i went over that that they are born outside they, they don't have as much influence into the right. realm if any at all so they gave us these outcast groups oh. which are kind of like these collection of outcasts that have their own motivations. They're so, good. so um, before we get into the groups, there it was one little snippet that said something like the mini Scarlet Empress, so that one outcast could basically on this uh, far reaches of the world try to do what the Scarlet Empress did inside. That could <laughs> maybe be a motivation to take over the world. But uh, for the rest of us that don't have world conquest dominations. Uh, yeah, for the rest of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> they have these outcast groups. And Charles, you want to tell us about the first outcast group? Okay, so the first one is the Cult of the Violet Thing. And basically, this is... This is a cult that lives way up in the north. And every seven years, they kind of... They kind of... Um, man, it's it's so hard to condense it into like just a little snippet. That every seven years they head into the wild for this like uh, almost ritual hunt to fight against the Rakshas there, and if they're successful, they come back with uh, you know treasures. I guess maybe that means artifacts or like good mutations, 
And if they are unsuccessful, they come back with a shattered mind or worse. And then one of the last sentences, which, you know, really sent a uh, chill up my spine was, how can you really tell? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so basically, if you want to play, uh, you know, up, up in the north and you just want to have a game all about going into the wild, trying to basically you're playing a Spider-Man story where you're, you're sticking your hand into a bucket full of radioactive spiders, hoping that when one bites you, you get the good mutation and turn into Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I was wondering how you were going to tie <laughs> yeah. that into Spider-Man. Yeah. So you're basically <laughs> trekking out into the wild, hoping that you get all the good parts of being exposed to it and none of the bad parts. So right, that's, uh, right. that's pretty rad. The next outcast group is the Grass Spiders. And the Grass Spiders is a clan composed of dragon-blooded and mortals. It's basically like an assassin death kill group kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really cool because like, some people like seek out and will want to join them. And then sometimes you know, when the exaltation happens, it's not a quiet event. So when they see something like this happen, they actually go and kidnap young exalts, young new new exalts, and train them in this assassin assassin clan, which is pretty stinking cool. Charles, yeah. you wanna? Well, you wanna... I, I was gonna I was gonna say one of the things I like about that one too is it specifically says dragon blooded and mortals. So right, I feel like this would be a cool. Um, if, if you want to really play up a neat story before your exaltation, you could play oh, yeah. a mortal in the Grass Spiders outcast group. Oh, yeah. You were trained your whole life to be an assassin, and then one day during one mission, and you could like write that out as your backstory, what happened during your exaltation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. That's cool. And you could have like all the other players be members as well, and... You're just like a bunch of murderers that go around and kill people. <laughs> so this is the murder hobo outcast group. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If you got murder hobos, <laughs> start them off as grass spiders. They'll have a good time. Okay, and the next group is Heaven's Dragons. Um, this one kind of blew my mind because this is a rare select few of dragon bloods and mortals who literally live just outside of heaven. So right. it's like this group that, uh, you know, lives in these abandoned tenements and stuff just on the outskirts of Yushan and are seeking employment within the divine bureaucracy. That's pretty cool. Dude. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> like, come on. That's so awesome. Uh, I, and I like the idea of, uh, I guess you would choose that group if you wanted to really lean hard into the interaction with gods concept. Right. I think when the Siderials book comes out and we learn a little more about you, Shan, I think this would come, come ringing in your memory. Oh, I said you, Shan, didn't I? You, Shan. Hmm. Well, let us know. let us know in an email <laughs> what you think the right way the is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, we know we can't take my word for no. pronunciation. Well, I've been yeah. proven wrong a few times, also. So. Oh my goodness, we're we're, we're, so we're lost. probably we're both without right. A yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Corey to smack us down and tell us to put us back on the right path? I know, right? <laughs> and the next one is the Commissine Battalion, General Commissine. Talia abandoned her post during the contagion, leaving her garrison, and began a life as a merc as mercenaries in the far southeast. So basically, back during the Shogunate contagion era, this dragon blooded just pretty much looked around and said, "Like all is lost," and just abandoned their post and took her garrison with her, and they just marched southeast. And completely just vanished off the place, uh, all out of the realm itself. So they they operate as mercenaries down in the southeast, taking like 
odd jobs, caravan guards, probably things like that, fighting small wars for for small little kingdoms and municipalities that live in the southeast. But this is cool. I like this, you know, just one day the general just says, all is lost, and just <laughs> walks off. Deuces. <laughs> <laughs> they call so, an Uber and they uh, head on southeast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's just this pocket of dragon blood so even if you didn't want to be directly working with this group you could actually be related to them and be an outcast in the southeast and you know how did how did terrestrial blood get down here well here's an explanation you know a whole group of dragon blood moved into that area i think i'm actually going to use this group in my game Ooh, yeah well, because I've been looking for ways to introduce Dragon Blooded into my game, and here's like this well organized force already in the same general area where we are. So Okay. Yeah, so that's cool. right. You are in the east. Yeah, I guess we're not as much in the southeast as we are just in the east, but that but doesn't the contag- really matter. The contagion was a long time ago, so if some of their uh, relatives and descendants moved, migrated slowly Mm. north, it could be uh, an explanation as to where they came from. So the next one, uh, it made me think of your character, Riley Lawman, there, Jimbo, is called, yeah, the Rogue Legion of Saloy Hin. And it is an amalgamation of Dragonbloods, Mortals, Exigents, and Godblooded. So this feels like kind of a catch-all. Where, like, do you just want to be part of this completely rogue faction that doesn't care what flavor of creature you are? Then come on down. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, I remember reading this one now. Yeah, so basically, this group is all about uh, the monopolization of fire dust. And they're using that as a way to um, kind of get a foothold towards influence into the realm. So what's what's interesting is this seems like the first outcast group that is mentioned with a specific drive to influence the realm. Right, the others seem to be like, "Hey, do you want to play Dragon Bloods, but you don't want to be in the realm? Like, here, do this." They don't care about the realm; they're their own thing, right? But this one is like, right. "No, we're more or less going to make ourselves part of, you know, what the top nine houses in the realm, and we're going to do it by completely monopolizing the fire dust trade." Yeah, this is. Actually, when I read this, I was thinking about the enemies of Riley, like the open hand gang kind of people. Uh, yeah, I guess I just thought not so much that he would be a part of it, but uh, oh man, right. fire dust, yeah, yeah. Anytime anyone mentions fire dust, <laughs> I think about I think about my solar character. <laughs> All right, and what's the uh, what's the last one there, Jimbo? The now this one is. I don't even know how to talk about this one, but we'll talk about it. (laughs) Yatani's children. Strange dragon blood that believe they are from another world, separated in an ancient cataclysm. They are looking for their home and maybe a way back. I mean, this is literally one. They're aliens. Yeah. Where did these people come from? So... That's literally what it tells you in the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like, yeah. hey, here's a bunch of dragon blood. They believe they're from another planet and they want to go home. They're E.T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like this one because for a long time, I've always wanted to have a game where I had some kind of meta element in it. Like, I've right. always wanted to play in a role-playing game where I was someone from our world who was sent back or sent through a rift or something and ended up in one of those other campaign settings. This is oh, that. Okay. This hmm. is that. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want to be an elf from Galarian? Here you go. Yeah. Like there's just oh, there's no limit. Oh. 
<laughs> oh yeah, it was rhetorical. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, hard pass. <laughs> yeah, that last one. It, it's like they got more and more weird as they went through writing these groups because they start out like, "Oh, you're in the north fighting the wild," and "Oh yeah, like a group of assassins," and "Oh, you know this like." mercenary company that abandoned their post during the Great Contagion and like, oh, mer- yeah, okay, well, let's talk more about combat. Yeah, these people are like, if you want fire yeah. dust, you have to go through these people. Oh, that's not even enough. What about people that are from another plane of existence? <laughs> it's just like, and the man, that the got out of control writes, quickly. <laughs> the, yeah, the person that writes Yatani's Children says, I got alien dragon bloods. Beat yeah. that. And they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. that, that's going on my the beer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's not where the weirdness starts because there's another section right after that called strange outcast groups. And if you think that alien dragon bloods is not weird enough, well, buckle up (laughs) because we are about to turn the knob up to 11. So the first group is called the Wanison. And this is a family of dragonbloods living between the living and the dead. Like, literally between the living and the dead. So what happens is, on their 25th birthday, family, uh, someone who is in this family is ritually drowned in a frozen spring on the Silent Isle, which is a small island in the northwest. And when they come back, If they survive, because it says in the description that some don't survive, but if they do, they bring back some of the dead with them. It talks about this cold spike being in their heart and filling them with sorceress power. So maybe this is their sorceress initiation where they kill them and then they manage to bring them back, sort of. But since they're kind of lingering in this half state, that's where their sorcerer's power comes from. So, how do you use these guys? Well, they give an example. Oh, by the way, the write-ups for these strange outcast groups are kind of long, so we're going to be kind of abbreviating them here. But the gist of it is, these guys are exorcists. So, communities can perform these rituals... Which will summon yeah, that a member. Was really cool. Yeah, which will summon this like wall of fog, and then when it dissipates, there's this dragon blood there, with this like straw hat and dripping with water because you know they've been drowned, and they decide whether or not they're going to help you with this exorcism. Yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. Like the ritual. Okay, so if you want to play a character who was drowned and then brought back, sort of, and then exercises ghosts, here you go. (laughs) Like, it's really weird and kind of niche, but also kind of awesome. (laughs) All right, this next one is called The Sisterhood of Pearls. Now, when I first looked at this one, I was like, eh, well, it, it might be cool. But then I really started digging into it, and... Basically, this is a society that began because two immaculate missionaries came to this Isle of Fevers and they were spreading the immaculate philosophy and trying to create disciples and, you know, jump on the immaculate bandwagon or whatever. Well, these two sisters or they're not really they're not sister sisters. They're not related, but they're like really good friends. They start conversing with each other about the immaculate philosophy like really digging into it and it comes to a point where they just abandon the entire philosophy and come up with this new way of believing or i guess it's a new religion it's called the sisterhood of pearls and basically it comes from the name that they come up with this idea that a pearl is a sand grit that is perfected and made beautiful when it's like brought into like an oyster so that was kind of one of their teachings and then like the the rest of the followers came up with this name sisterhood of pearls but what they have are these five insightful criticisms and that is like kind of the 
standing block of their new religion. And the five principles are all souls are equal. Dragon-blooded are of no greater worth than a non-dragon-blooded or a mortal. They abolish all divisions. That's number three. Number four, a dragon-blooded who squanders their enlightenment on material things has turned away from the the true way. And five is the path to enlightenment is not a straight road, but a turning wheel that must be reborn like the high will be reborn, may be reborn as the lowest. So it's like they don't view uh, reincarnation as an upward path. They view it as a turning wheel. Huh. Like they, if, if you, if you didn't learn the lessons that you should have learned in the previous life, you may circle back down. Interesting. And, and they have this unwritten sixth insightful criticism where one of them believes that they should take over the dynast and spread the sisterhood of pearl belief. And the other one says they're complete within their self. So they don't write this sixth insightful criticism because they don't want to split the group. So they just (laughs) kind of remain in in this, like, well, we don't really have a sixth uh, criticism. So you have half the group believes one way and half the group believes the other way. Like, no, we should just stay here and not bother anyone outside of our little circle. And the other group says, no, we need to go and spread our belief everywhere. I like how there's this established counterculture to uh, the given power structure of dragon bloods. That's really right. And that's probably like one of their really big appeals to a lot of their mortal followers. Yeah. Is... Hey, you're no better than I am. I'll be digging right. that ditch that you're digging tomorrow. <laughs> you know. So that that probably has a lot of appeal and they probably have a potential to get a lot of mortals on their side. And large mortal armies can do a lot if yeah. if you have enough numbers. Well, the next one is called the Temple of the Reverent Whisper. And this is um it's a temple run by dragon bloods that is dedicated to all gods and none where they may come and be worshiped provided that they can pay for it. And here only dragon blooded can serve as priests and priestesses uh, because often the worship is too much for a mere mortal to endure. And then it goes one step further and says that once a year or so, even a god from heaven might come down and utilize the services of the temple. So the thing I like about this one a lot is once again, it plays, it leans real hard into the, hey, gods are going to be a real central focus in your, in your chronicle, which I really like. Um, right. But also it gives you a reason uh, as a dragon blood to be around gods, hearing secrets and using those to your advantage or not, you know, depending on how, <laughs> or how, <not. laughs> uh, on how strictly you adhere to, you know, the tenets of this temples, you know, they've set up these rules saying, Hey, you can't reveal a client's secrets or anything like that. Maybe you don't even play a member of the temple of the reverent whisper, but you introduce them into the game world so that you're, uh, sworn kinship has a place to go to get information or leverage on the gods, right? So, hey, we want to take over um, or overthrow this local god who is becoming an oppressive power in our area, but we don't really know the best way to do that. Well, maybe you can go to the temple and find out, you know, some secrets about that god or something like that. Yeah, the really cool thing about these outcasts they make fun adventures as player characters and they make really good antagonists too yeah like if you have some solars or other dragon blood i mean the realm would you know how would the realm cross paths with some of these groups i think they would uh they would probably try to convert them and if they didn't then there could be some clashing and uh different things of opinions about each other there so yeah, use them as antagonists. Use them as a jump start for a story as player characters. And on that note, 
this is one of my favorite my favorite groups. Uh, the Seven Storms Brotherhood. Now, what this is, is this is a group of thieves and bandits that are led by seven outcast dragon blood in the southeast. Oh, another southeast one. Dang it. Yeah, they did a lot of southeast. <laughs> Guild merchants cannot appease nor capture these bandit leaders, so they offer bounties for their heads. Basically, oh, the, wow. the history of this is two dragon blood show up in an area that was already had its own own thieving and banditry, whatever you want to call it, problems. So they start this gang. Um, and then they start recruiting other dragon bloods. So their founding member is, and it's really cool because each one of the, the leaders has kind of a storm theme to their name. Like yeah. they, they adopt a name that's kind of like stormy sounding. Um, so you have the sky choking Sirocco. He's the founding leader of the gang. Then you have the Spring Squall, which is the second member. So these two people uh, founded the gang. But Blinding Bolt is the unofficial second command, and she's pretty cool. Now, I like the way they end this section in the Dragon Blood. They give you four other possible characters that you could use or don't use. Uh, they said... Uh, Basically, the leadership kind of like they have a revolving leadership in a way of like their lesser leaders. So if you wanted to, you could throw four PCs in here and, you know, say, okay, take like a stormy sounding kind of name, like a a weather related name or something. Or you could use these four guys. So it's already ready to go where you could have them as an antagonist group or you could have PCs come up with the other four leaders or they could be like lesser gang members and aspiring to to the leadership and you keep these four people in here which is really good um to set set up and start a game if you wanted to just say you just wanted to do a a thieving bandit game where you rob stagecoaches and stuff that could be fun if that's your thing uh that sounds like my thing jim (laughs) (laughs) no yeah you're right that one is uh is super cool. Man, maybe I'll add that one in my game. Ugh, stop creating such good stuff. My game is not big enough to be able to cram all this cool stuff in there. Um, I, I'm just kidding. Don't ever stop creating this cool stuff, guys. It's amazing. <laughs> so that wraps it up for our feature discussion. Um, Jim, overall, what do you think about outcast groups for Dragon Gods? I think I think they're fun. They're probably uh, a good introduction to bring someone over to a game or from a game where you're not, not used to playing such superpower people. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like outcasts because who wants to learn all the rules about different houses and families and their relationships with you? Just throw me out in the woods and give me superpowers <laughs> where I can, I can control the elements and throw fire or whatever I want to do, like control the air. And let me go wreak havoc. Uh, so, yeah, I like Outcast. Yeah, I do too. I like how um, Outcast basically just offer you a whole new lease on life when it comes to playing Dragon Bloods. Not, not to say that they're tired and worn thin, but I feel like there are some assumptions made when you play a Dragon Blooded game. And Outcast groups are kind of the the antidote to that where it's like hey do you or you get tired of playing in this very sociopolitic uh game uh all about scheming and plotting is that just not your thing well cool here hey here play an alien from another dimension or or you know play play a dragon blood who goes out into the wild and tempts mutation maybe for good or for ill uh i think that outcast groups are arguably one of the best parts of the Dragonblooded book. And uh, I, I'm hoping that maybe something similar can be done in books going forward. There there really isn't anything like this in the Solar book, um, you know, for good or for ill. Maybe this is something that we'll see in other supplements going forward. You know, hey, do you want to play a Lunar mm-hmm. who isn't just 
uh, war tribe leader. Here are all these different ways to play a Lunar's game. I think that well, would be th- a really good addition. I think the thing with the Solars is pretty much all of them are outcasts, but they're right. not, they're not organized. Like these people have had time to organize, whereas Solars are really new. That's another good thing about Solars is you have no idea what you're doing. You just right. you murdered someone the other day because you you didn't know how strong you were, and <laughs> now you got to figure it out. <laughs> well, hey Jim, I think I. I think I see the answering machine blinking. Do we have a do we have a voicemail to listen to? Well, what I did was I snuck into Corey's house and I ran a line over here where we were <laughs> so that we could we could we could tap into the messages. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well let's uh let let's let me see. Do you got the machine? Let's push it. Let's, yeah, let's, okay. uh, and play. Hello, my deliberative bros. Becca here, this time with a question about Artifact 5s. My husband, who is essentially a Twilight cast, and I were talking the other day about this subject, and he raised the point that an Artifact 5 can have an unlimited amount of evocations, as the limit for them is quote-unquote unknown. As a storyteller, if a player starts play with an Artifact 5, how would you handle that aspect? Who is responsible for coming up with the evocations? Would you truly let it have unlimited evocations? And how would you keep it so this one artifact doesn't make the rest of the group feel lame in comparison? Looking forward to your guys' thoughts, and please, send help. I'll live with someone who loves hashing out the rules. <laughs> well, thank you for calling in, Becca. Uh, I, I think we've had Becca on the show before, right? Didn't she call in with that wood city from way back yes, when? Yes, yeah. yes, she did. Yeah, um, so good to, good to hear your voice again, Becca. Uh, this is a good question. How do you as a storyteller handle players starting the game with five-dot artifacts? Jim, do you want to start this one off? Well, hmm, let's see. <laughs> yes, you can have them. Because there is a mechanic that does allow you to purchase a five dot artifact. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just talked all last week about Warstriders, which Warstriders are a five dot artifact. Artifacts, yeah. But we but it gives us an idea of how powerful a five dot artifact is. It is pretty powerful. There are some trade-offs to being able to purchase one of these i mean yeah you may have foregone a couple of good merits you could have got or some another charm you could have bought so you invested heavily in this artifact now that being said every evocation whether it's unlimited or it's unknown so that doesn't necessarily mean unlimited obviously all your evocations are going to have to go through the storyteller um Yes, you have to do that. You can't uh, uh, spend four moats to win the game. No, no, no. That's not an evocation that you can use. (laughs) To win Um, the game. Yeah, I've tried that before. It didn't work. (laughs) Um, You're you're spending five background points or merit points, depending on when you purchase this artifact during character creation. Every evocation has to be purchased. So... It's instead of buying a charm, you're buying an evocation. Now, the scary thing is, if I buy a bunch of charms, as long as I'm breathing, those charms are available to me. What happens if I lose my artifact? Mm. <laughs> so that's kind of scary when you like you have an artifact. It's five dot. It's really awesome. It has all these evocations that you can use, and you lose it. <laughs> so what hopefully your is? storyteller isn't that mean well um I'm, unless it serves the story sure yeah yeah you could be a good story of going and getting it back or so what how does that artifact act in the hands of your enemy you know i think you've kind of hit the nail on the head in how to deal with five dot artifacts yes it takes up half of your merit points which is huge Huge. Half of your merit points are dedicated to this character creation. Right. Like, let that sink in for a minute. That's insane, right? 
Also, <laughs> like Jim said, you have to purchase each evocation. So it's really no less game-breaking at character creation than not having an artifact weapon. I mean, it really isn't. Um, because you have 15 charms at character creation. If you spend all 15 on evocations, which, good grief, don't do. If you do that, you've done something wrong. <laughs> um, you're really no more powerful than the Eclipse cast who spent all 15 charms on, in the book, charm trees, you know, and doesn't have an artifact weapon, right? The other balancing factor is, um, well, one, you have to design the evocations. So that, that takes time, that takes balance, right? So that's not, I don't think that's something someone's going to do right from character creation is design like 80 charms or evocations rather, just, you know, waiting to be purchased. But also... I feel like the real game-breaking thing from character creation is your supernal ability, right? So being yeah. able to purchase if you're, a... If you're playing solar. Now, what if they were talking about a dragon-blooded? Mm, well, that is true. Okay, you're right. I was thinking in the vein of a solar. Uh, okay, I guess in essence, all I'm getting at is you're going to be limited by how powerful of an evocation you can start the game with based on what your essence level is. So if you're playing Dragon Bloods, it's two. If you're playing Solars, it's one. Lunars, it's one, right? So right. you're already kind of limited from the get-go. And the weapon is going to scale commensurately in power with the wielder. So I don't know. I don't really think they're game-breaking. I mean, they ultimately become <laughs> game-breaking because the it, it actually says that in the book, but... You're not going to you're not going to have a completely destroyed game from session 1 if someone starts with a 5 dot artifact. The ultimate satisfaction as a storyteller permit a 5 dot artifact. All the <laughs> evocations are essence 5. <laughs> like man this thing's gonna be great when you're good enough to use it oh man, that would suck <laughs> i'm just kidding but really uh rules as written anytime that you want to purchase a five dot artifact you do need to talk to your storyteller because it will have severe story implications yes, just because it will, of its it, potential it power will have level. to be worked into the story it will it will affect the story being that powerful so I would say talk to your storyteller and you could come up with some really cool ideas. I mean, there are some really good players that have like the greatest thing in the world, like as far as like weapon wise or something, but they play it so well. They know how to like use the advantages and how to make it become a disadvantage to the game so that it adds a lot of good flavor to the story. Yeah. Like think about, um, Let's just use the Lord of the Ring reference. If your character was Frodo and you had the ring, yeah, the ring is powerful. <laughs> but you could play it up where the ring is, it's messing with you, messing up your mind, uh, drawing you into this evil and changing your perception of your friends around you. And I think that's a perfect example of how a five-dot artifact can make your game better. Like, yeah, in that instance... With the one ring, that five dot right. artifact is the story. So, hey, exactly. if, maybe that's your rule. Hey, if someone's going to start with a five dot artifact, that's going to kind of be the story in some way. Like with the War Strider, your story's right. going to change based on the mere fact that it has a five dot artifact in it. But that's okay. They're all balanced yeah. against each other. So, yeah, you're just going to have to work with your storyteller and... Um... And come up with a good reason and a good story for the artifact. Make the artifact almost like another character. You know, it's, <laughs> some guys have a familiar. I have a death laser sword. <laughs> death laser sword. <laughs> Patent pending. Yeah. Well, Jim, that, that about wraps it up for this week. Where can folks find more of your stuff? 
Well, you can always find stuff I've created on fivepoles.com or you can reach me direct at my email, james.fivepoles at gmail.com. I go by the username Reform Ninja on the Onyx Path forums. And you can find me on the official forums as Lucky Chucky. I also run our Facebook page, The Deliberative Podcast, as well as our Twitter account, at Deliberative Pod. If you have a question or an issue that you would like for us to discuss on The Deliberative, please send your question to us at thedeliberativepodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, thedeliberativepodcast at gmail.com. And if at all possible, send us a recording of yourself asking the question like Becca did, and uh, we'll put you on the show. Oh, we would like to thank Solipsistic Nation for leaving us an iTunes review. Guys, if you have a chance, leave us a review on iTunes or, Stitch, iTunes or Stitcher, and uh, that helps uh, our podcast get noticed. Well, thanks for listening to the Deliberative Podcast. Now go forth and bring righteousness to the world as you know best. Bye, O. See ya.